so many people are afraid to be in the wilderness, but on the contrary, you will find beauty, complexity is challenging, but also you can discover so many things and you can discover yourself. You will find peace at the end of the day. This is what brings me balance, equilibrium, you know, happiness. And all around me, it's beauty, beauty. Welcome to the Wild Foundation Podcast, Voices of Wilderness. Through the stories our guests share, you'll learn about how we can and must protect wilderness for a healthy future. We hope to leave you a little more inspired to speak out, take action, make a difference, and find solutions to the biodiversity and climate crises. We're going to take you on a journey through the different aspects of wilderness, its different stories, approaches, and definitions in various parts of the world with the people who work every day to fight for its protection. Meet Juan Vargas and Catalina Porras, who are working towards the return of the California condor to the northern Baja California, Mexico region, more specifically in the San Pedro Martir Sierra mountain range. As you might expect, this is no simple task. So what keeps them motivated to work for the protection of this species? What difficulties do they encounter in their day-to-day work? And what advice do they have for you to take action? Okay, let's dive into their daily lives as conservationists in the isolated and sometimes dangerous landscapes of Mexico. So we are joined today by two absolutely incredible, inspiring individuals who do just brilliant work with condors. And we are joined by Catalina and Juan. I will let the two of you introduce yourselves to Wild's audience because I will not do it justice. And the two of you are so incredible and really captured and captivated us with your stories just in our brief conversations of introduction. So I cannot wait to get into this. Thank you for being here. And uh, please go ahead and introduce yourself to Wild's audience. Soy Juan Vargas. Soy el encargado del trabajo de campo con el cóndor de California aquí en el Parque Nacional Sierra de San Pedro Mártir en Baja California. I'm going to interject really quickly here. Juan is more comfortable speaking in Spanish. So I'll be doing quick translations throughout this episode so that we're all on the same page about the important information that he's sharing with us. To briefly recap Juan's position, he is the head of the field work that happens with these condors in the exact location that Catalina describes. And I'm Catalina Porras. I'm the coordinator for the conservation program in Baja California, Mexico, in the Sierra de San Pedro Martir National Park. We met 25, almost 26 years ago, working in the for the conservation or uh, protection of endangered species of birds in Monterrey, Mexico. Now for the past a little more than 20 years and so um, plus months, (laughs) we've been working to protect and reintroduce first the condors, California condors, in this national park. So I think the work that the two of you do is so fascinating, specifically because condors are not 
I mean, they are well known, of course. They're a, an important species, of course. But when people think about endangered species or species that need rehabilitation and help being reintroduced into the wild, I don't know that condors are the first things that come to mind. What captivated you about this species and the two of you, really? What drew you to this work and this particular bird? Pues a mí lo que me trajo a trabajar aquí a la Sierra de San Pedro Mártir que cuando ya tenían las negociaciones el gobierno de México y el gobierno de Estados Unidos para traer el cóndor que había desaparecido de la península de Baja California, es que no había gente que se hiciera, que tuviera el conocimiento para trabajar con esta especie. Y fue como amigos míos americanos de la Universidad de Santa Cruz, California, me preguntaron si podía yo venir con ellos para ver si yo podía apoyar para reintegrar otra vez el cóndor de California aquí en las montañas de la península de Baja California. Y fue como yo vine nada más a eh, enseñar cómo hacerlo y al final de cuentas me quedé todos estos años. So what Juan is saying here is what brought him to work in the San Pedro Martir Sierra region was when the U.S. and Mexican governments decided to reintroduce the bird back to this Baja California Peninsula because it had vanished for environmental reasons, there was really nobody who had the experience to work with this species. So his American friends from UC Santa Cruz asked if he could join them on the trip and just help with the reintroduction and impart some knowledge for them to tackle this big project. He jokes that he came only with the intention of staying for a short while and just to share his knowledge with his friends and ended up staying all these years later. For me, it was truly, you know, when I was, um, I received this email from Mike Wallace from the San Diego Zoo and he told me Juan Vargas is, uh, is already working at, at the national park, but he's looking for more field technicians or field biologists to work and help him. And for me, it was, then I got in touch with Juan and he said, no, I mean, this is a very remote area. There's no infrastructure and blah, blah, blah. And I already, we are both had already experience working with Andean condors, but in captivity, not, not in the wild. But I said, well, this is truly challenging. And I love challenges just like Juan. So we share that. We share that. And introducing a species that had been vanished in this area in Mexico, it was like, truly an amazing forest in the middle of nowhere. So it was this unique opportunity and for this species to give it a second chance. Everything was for me captivating and condors are awesome. So it was like, we should do something. We must compromise. I compromise myself. And we struggled so much here because to find the young people that really are capable of working in the middle of nowhere with no communication and living off greed uh, with no infrastructure at all. I mean, the first six months, a little more maybe, living in tents, then living in a, a trailer. And we spent, let me tell you, one and I, on our alone here in the, in the middle of this forest for eight months or periods of nine months on our own because we couldn't find people to be able to stay here to work the program. Wow. It's absolutely mind-blowing to me just hearing about where you work, the environment that you work in, that the two of you work in, and that prior to working with them, obviously, in, in their natural environment, that all you'd done was in captivity with the two, or the two of you had worked with condors in captivity. I'm 
how I, I'm so fascinated. One was approached by his friends to come to go work with the rehabilitation and the reintroduction of the species in their natural environment. How did he get into working with the species even in captivity? What was the journey to, to that? Yo estuve eh, anteriormente estaba trabajando en un programa muy grande en las Islas Canal de California con el reintroduciendo el águila cabeza blanca en las islas porque había desaparecido porque en Los Ángeles estaba la fábrica del DDT y los residuos iban al océano. Entonces en las Islas Canales se extinguió el, el águila de cabeza blanca y ese nicho ecológico lo, lo ocupó el águila real del continente. Llegó a las Islas Canal y empezó a depredar un zorro endémico. Ahí, conocí, ahí trabajé con estos amigos americanos y como sabían que yo tenía experiencia trabajando con, con águilas y con diferentes rapaces, y como había trabajado en Monterrey, Nuevo León, México, con cóndores andinos y diferentes especies de pericos, guacamayas y rapaces, crácidos, ellos me decían que si les podía ayudar para venir a evaluar el lugar, ver la gente que, que pudiera trabajar aquí. El lugar, al ser muy remoto y, y, la, y no había gente que conociera de este tipo de trabajo con carroñeros o con aves rapaces, entonces yo dije, ok, voy a ir y voy a intentar enseñar a la gente, a los muchachos de universidades para que puedan continuar con el trabajo. Pero el problema es que mucha gente no quiere vivir en áreas remotas y más si son muchachos jóvenes. A mí lo que me cautivó de, del cóndor de California es que al ser un ave tan grande en Norteamérica, muy poca gente había trabajado con ella en los Estados Unidos y en México nadie. Cuando estaba ya al borde de desaparecer, que quedaban 22 cóndores en las montañas de California, era increíble que prácticamente no se sabía nada de la especie. Entonces a mí, a mí me cautivó el trabajar con una especie que estaba ya a punto de, de desaparecer. En México ya no había, en México había desaparecido. En México no se sabe cuándo desapareció no se sabe por qué fue la causa. Entonces a mí me cautivó el ser un animal que venía desde la época del Pleistoceno, un animal que prácticamente es un fósil viviente, conocerlo, trabajar con él, conocer su hábitat y conocer en los lugares tan inaccesibles de Baja California donde habitó y tratar de, de investigar, desenmarañar todo lo, lo que esta especie vivió en estas montañas y que se desconocía. Mucho de, me cautivó a leer todos los escritos de los españoles cuando exploraron la península de Baja California y encontraron cosas que ellos no se imaginaban en él en estas tierras tan salvajes. Eso me cautivó. Y ser una, una, una sierra tan salvaje y que Baja California está muy aislada y es, es un lugar único. Está entre dos océanos, el Pacífico y el Golfo de California y que todavía conserva zonas muy vírgenes y muy salvajes. So, Juan used to work for a very large program in the Channel Islands of California, reintroducing the bald eagle that had disappeared from the region due to the DDT coming out of Los Angeles that the birds were ingesting. That's where he began working with those American friends and colleagues that he mentioned earlier. And because they knew he was extremely familiar with eagles and a vast array of other raptors, they asked for his help in evaluating the condor habitat and determining who might be the right fit to work in this area. This region is extremely remote and there weren't many people who really understood this type of work with scavengers and raptors so Juan agreed to go and decided he was going to try and teach these individuals and amongst them university students how to carry out this work but the problems you know with that is that many people don't want to live in such remote places especially when they're young What really captivated Juan about the Californian condor 
is that so few individuals in the United States and in Mexico have actually worked with them before. When they were on the verge of extinction with only 22 left in the mountains of California, very, very little was actually known or understood about the species. So Juan was incredibly taken by the thought of working with a species that was on the brink of extinction. And it's important to note that at the time in Mexico, there were no more Californian condors left. They had already disappeared and gone extinct from the region. We're still not entirely sure when they disappeared from the region and what the exact cause of their disappearance was, but Juan was fascinated by this raptor that dates all the way back to the Pleistocene, which, to put that in context for everyone, was between 2.5 million to about 11,000 years ago. So these birds are quite literally living fossils. He was also really taken by the writings from Spanish explorers when they first discovered the peninsula of Baja California. And they experienced this incredibly wild, wild, isolated and unique landscape. Okay, enough rambling from me. Let's get back to the conversation. Wow, it's amazing. I'm so basic. I mean, what I take from all of this is that the two of you are condor whisperers and basically the the future of this species really kind of resides in your hands and the passion that Juan you can tell he feels for this species and for the rehabilitation and the long-term reintroduction and stability of the species is so tangible. It's it's really inspiring. When he starts speaking about the wilderness, that the wild area that these birds live in, it prompts me to ask, can you describe that wilderness or how does it play such an important role in the future of these birds? Because obviously at Wild, you know, we're all about connecting people to wild places around the world and showing the significance of wilderness. But when it comes to a species that was literally on the brink of extinction, as Juan said, what does that environment, how does that play into the long-term success of the species? The good thing about Baja, Baja California, it's that compared to California, the state, our neighbors in the north, is that in California there are close to four, no, 40 million people. Here in Baja, close to 4 million this is a great difference. So here, Baja California, well, many people that do not know this state, they think of Baja as desert. And no, no, not many people know there is these like islands of forest, which is the southern range of this conifer forest, you know, of Jeffrey pines and this type of forest, because it's very, very dry. So you go south, there's a other type of habitat, but still there is a lot of mountains and great cliffs with no towns around. So it's truly Baja California. It's still very wild, which makes it perfect for the California condor to survive and thrive. The less people, <laughs> the best. The best. I mean, this is a great habitat for condors. Not to see people in many miles around or kilometers, it's amazing. It's amazing. For people that live in the city, maybe it's frightening, but it's so beautiful. 
and it brings us peace. And it's like, for us, like, you know, this is our environment to our perfect environment to live in. Right. Well, it seems like the two of you have, have become accustomed to what it takes, to have become accustomed to what it takes to live there, you know, which, it, and like you mentioned, not many people can do it. it. And it sounds very remote and very difficult. I'd love for you and Juan to explain a little bit about what caused the decline in the condor population in this part of the world. Is that you know, because Juan was also saying that for so long, it seems, you know, people didn't even know that this species was disappearing or on the brink of disappearing. Do we know what really has caused the decline of the species? Hay varios factores. Principalmente, la gente pensaba que mataba al ganado. Al ser un, un ave tan grande, ellos veían que comían becerros o vacas y ellos pensaban que los mataban, que el cóndor cazaba y que mataba a los animales, y eso era de generación en generación, de que era un animal que era cazador. Y al tener el, el, la idea de que los animales que depredaban al ganado eran animales nocivos, eh, ponían venenos para matar a los pumas, para matar a los coyotes, también ellos pues, mataban, a, mataban cóndores, y lo que no sabíamos es que el... el Plomo, al dejar un animal herido, es muy peligroso para los carroñeros porque se intoxicaban con el plomo. Entonces aquí en México, en realidad, no se sabe bien, bien, bien cuál fue la causa. Yo hablé con ganaderos y yo pienso que fueron varios factores. El que envenenaban a los depredadores, el que también los mataban a los cóndores al ver que comían un becerro, que ellos pensaban que había matado al becerro, pero el becerro puede haber muerto por varias causas. No, no es de que el cóndor lo mataba. Y el plomo, que al cazar a ellos, al haber borregos salvajes, el borrego salvaje que vive en las montañas del desierto de aquí de Baja California, ellos lo cazaban para comer. Y si un animal queda herido con balas de plomo, se intoxican los carroñeros. Y aquí también acostumbraban a cazar, pues una fuente de, de alimentación de la gente local era cazar venados. Entonces, si los animales quedaban heridos, pues lo comían los carroñeros. Entonces, en realidad son varias causas eh, lo que pudo ocasionar que bajara la población de cóndores. Los americanos, cuando se dan cuenta que quedan 22 cóndores en sus montañas de California, vienen a México pensando que la península de Baja California, al estar más salvaje, iban a encontrar cóndores. Y la sorpresa de ellos es que ya el cóndor había desaparecido de las montañas de Baja California en México. There are a variety of factors that have contributed to the decline of the Californian condor. But most notably, there was a strong belief amongst the local people that these animals were hunters and that they were killing off cattle and livestock. They were believed to be harmful creatures. So they were targeted by the local people along with pumas, coyotes, and other hunter animals. What we now know is that lead is extremely harmful to wounded animals. It's also toxic to these scavengers when they eat wounded or dead animals. So the local population in this region were mainly deer hunters. So if a deer escaped wounded with a lead bullet still inside of it, and the condors managed to prey on this animal, they became poisoned and would later die. So although we don't know why, with complete certainty, the Californian condor disappeared from the area, Juan has spoken to many ranchers and believes that it was for many of the factors that I just mentioned. He also mentions that when 
the Americans realized that there were only 22 condors remaining in the California mountains, they came to Mexico expecting it to be much more wild and expecting to find many condors. But to their major surprise, they found that this species had actually already disappeared from the Baja California mountains in Mexico. It's just shocking to hear that, to hear that the population got down to 22. And I'm hearing that, I understand that correctly, right, Catalina? 22. I, that's so devastating, but it makes sense. And then to think, you know, that there would be more farther down and then there weren't. What a devastating realization. So now on to a little bit more hopeful things, though. So what does a day in the life for the two of you look like on this journey of bringing the condor back to a healthy, stable population number? Because the two of you had some incredibly exciting stories to share with us the last time we spoke. And I think I my exact words were, don't say anymore. Like we have to record this and share it with people because it's fascinating the day in the life of the two of you. So what does that look like? Cada día es diferente. No puedes programar las cosas. No puedes hacer un programa. Puede ser que tú pienses que mañana vamos a trabajar con los cóndores observándolos y a veces hay vientos muy fuertes que vienen de la parte este de la península, de la parte del desierto de Sonora, del otro lado del Golfo de California y provocan a veces incendios. A veces hay incendios que son muy peligrosos aquí en esta parte porque el ambiente bajo de la montaña es desértico y donde estamos arriba es bosque de coníferas. Entonces, con los vientos muy fuertes que vienen del desierto de Sonora y habiendo un incendio, nos cambia todo el programa que tenemos. También en invierno, eh, son a veces hay nevadas muy fuertes donde tenemos que estar preparados, tenemos que cortar leña, caen árboles en los caminos. Siempre es impredecible lo que hacemos. The region at the bottom of the mountain where Juan and Catalina work is desert, while the top of the mountain is coniferous forest. So every single day is different for them and they really can't plan for it ahead of time. They might be planning their day in terms of monitoring the birds, monitoring the land, but that could be completely disrupted by very strong winds from the east of the peninsula that cause major fires. There are also really big snowstorms in the winter that they have to prepare for. So their work is really quite unpredictable. It's everything but boring. <laughs> As Juan just explained, I mean, every single day is different and you cannot plan or program activities like, and every day you cannot expect to be the same. Because as Juan just explained, I mean, there are some, right, this morning, I mean, the wind gusts are, you know, very high speed, very strong. And then you are on your way to check on the condors, the ones that are in captivity. We just received two of them from the Chapultepec Zoo. And we are about to receive two more tomorrow from the San Diego Zoo. And these are going to be pre-released birds for maybe next year. Who knows? Maybe they are ready before the end of this year, but not before winter. The thing is that, yes, I mean, on our way to the pen or to the observing points where we monitor with the telemetry equipment, 
maybe there is a branch or a tree that has fall and then you have to cut it to make your way through. Or during the winter time, you wake up and there is like more than two feet of snow. <laughs> I mean, everything changes. There's no day alike. That makes it more interesting. <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, it sounds just like the least boring job anybody could do, but you're right. It sounds like you have no idea what you're going into every day. So you have to be really flexible, right? Exactly. And that makes it a little very difficult to me because I, I am the type of person that would like to know, like at 10 in the morning, I'm going to do this at 11. <laughs> but I can't be that way. I have to be flexible. Les puedo poner un ejemplo. Ahora que tenía que ir a Tijuana a llevar al director de zoológicos de la Ciudad de México que vino para la liberación, preparé todo para irnos a Tijuana y la camioneta que usó una Toyota Tundra eh, le rompió las muelles. Entonces tenemos que cambiar de plan, ir en otro carro. Juan here is sharing a very concrete example. He had to bring the zoological director of Mexico City back to Tijuana, but the suspension was broken on the car that he planned to drive, so they completely had to pivot their plan in order to bring him back. And now we have to think how we're going to take that pickup truck all the way down the mountain. Because, I mean, either are we going to be able to fix it? I mean, just to, to make it safe to, to get to the first workshop we can get to? I mean, I don't know. I mean, we have to figure out things on our own. Aquí tenemos que ser mecánicos, carpinteros, salvañiles, <laughs> eh, de todo. In this sort of environment, their team has to not only be conservationists, but they have to be mechanics, painters, really many different things. We have to be resourceful. Yeah, you have to be jacks of all trade. I mean, you literally have to know how to wear multiple hats and, and do all of the things because it's not like you have an entire town ready to take care of anything that needs to be taken care of. Exactly. Also, we were, I mean, before arriving here, we had already veterinarian training, like emergencies. We were already prepared to be here. When I knew Juan was working here, I said, oh, if Juan is there, I can be there. Because if where Juan is, you know you are going to survive. He knows so many skills. He has so many skills like scuba diving, like he can survive in an island on his own. That's for sure. And so I knew that if he was here, I didn't need it, anyone else to make sure I was going to survive <laughs> in the middle of Northward. So yes, I mean, he's amazing. Wow. If we had the cameras on, you'd see. I am smiling so big just because the two of you do the most incredible day-to-day -day life. It's Absolutely incredible. And I am conscious of time, but I'm also, luckily, we, I hope to be able to interview the two of you again and get into much more detail about the specifics surrounding the condors and the program and how you see the future and all of that. But I do want to end on a question that I'm very intrigued by. Why do you have hope for this project? And Could you potentially share a small victory with us from the project? Pues a mí lo que me lo que me da esperanza es que en un principio cuando llegué aquí con los cóndores, pues yo no sabía qué iba a pasar. 
pero después de 20 años me doy cuenta que es posible recuperar especies que habían desaparecido. Y lo más importante son hábitats, los hábitats tan conservados que están aquí en Baja California y el que la gente sea comprometida. Yo he visto con niños con los que hemos hablado hace muchos años hablando del cóndor, que ahora ya son personas grandes, que gracias a lo que fuimos a, pl a platicar en sus escuelas, ellos ahora, ya siendo grandes, están en puestos de gobierno y donde ya cambió su mentalidad y están a favor de conservar, no nada más al cóndor, sino en la, la naturaleza y ver que es la esperanza de todos nosotros al estar cambiando tanto nuestro planeta. What gives Juan hope is that when he arrived to this project and to this environment, he had no idea what would happen. But after 20 years of working towards the reintroduction of the Californian condor, he's realized that it's very possible to bring back species that are on the brink of extinction. He also notes that the most important thing is the conservation of wildlife habitats and education to the general public. He's seen so many children that he's spoken to in school settings grow up and have a completely different mentality surrounding these birds. These adults who were then children are now in positions of power in government and they have the power to preserve this species and its environment. We have a very good friend, old friend, Patricio Robles Hill, who is helping us, you know, to spread the word about the condor program. He's a very good ally now. In less than a year, people have been interested to adopt a condor. So now we have like 20% of the population is, has been adopted. You know, like, wow. I mean, it is amazing that people are getting involved and interested in protecting a species, like amazing as the condor. Yo lo que he visto y he aprendido es que la gente al vivir en las ciudades ha dejado de tener ese espíritu de la naturaleza y es volver a reencontrarte con tus orígenes, volver a re reencontrarte del lugar donde nacimos. Ya la gente tiene que dar una vuelta a, a, a la naturaleza y ver que gracias a la naturaleza podemos sobrevivir. Exactly. What Juan has seen and learned is that individuals who live in cities have abandoned their wild spirit and that it's very important to reconnect with it, to reconnect with our spirit's birthplace, wilderness. People have to return to nature and realize that our survival is thanks to it. I love that. I, I could not agree with that more. It's, I have, I could talk about that for another 45 minutes because I think the way our, our world has gone, we've, we've moved away from this connection to nature, which is so innate in us. I mean, we're born with it, but we don't, if you don't tend to it, like if you don't tend to a fire, the flame goes out and you don't recognize that connection anymore. And so it's so important to cultivate that in younger generations and to inspire younger generations. And that's clearly what the two of you are doing. And, and as Juan said, you know, those younger generations are now grown up and they're now in positions of power and they're now in government positions where they can make decisions that affect the future of not only the, the species, but the habitat, which then you, I mean, how many species does that affect as well? So it's really absolutely incredible. And, and I hope to your point, Catalina, that, you know, more and more people become interested and inspired and involved in this project, even from a distance. I hope that we can 
help spread some of that word because you've really struck something in Julia and I and in our team. And we cannot wait to keep diving into this subject with the two of you. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? I'm just beaming. I'm so happy. This has been so wonderful, but I I definitely want to make sure that if there's anything else that you'd like to leave us with today, that I make that there's space for that too. Hey, mira, te quería decir que yo me reflexioné ahora que hubo la pandemia, cómo la gente de las grandes ciudades que, está des que estuvo desconectada de la naturaleza a raíz de la pandemia, cómo voltearon y buscaron las áreas salvajes para reencontrarse. La pandemia fue como un llamado de atención de la gente que estaba desconectada de las áreas naturales y cómo buscaron ir a las, a las áreas naturales a buscar paz y tranquilidad. The pandemic opened Juan's eyes to just how disconnected people are to nature and wilderness, but that during the pandemic, they went in search of these natural places to find themselves once again. The pandemic was a wake-up call for many and showed the true importance of the natural world for inner peace and tranquility. I mean, so many people are afraid to be in the wilderness, but on the contrary, you will find beauty, complexity is challenging, but also you can discover so many things and you can discover yourself. You will find peace at the end of the day. This is what brings me balance, equilibrium, you know, happiness, and all around me, it's beauty, beauty. Absolutely. I think that both of you said it so well. COVID was a wake-up call for a lot of people just to remind us what matters and what brings us the most peace. You've said that, I think, once or twice throughout this interview too. And so it's it obviously rings true that there's something in nature that just centers us and gives us peace and balance. And the fact that the two of you are, are cultivating that and tending to that is is wonderful. And all, all I really have to say is thank you, you know, because we need more people doing that work so that everyone at some point can enjoy that aspect of this beautiful planet. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Julia and Jackie, for inviting us to share our experiences. Absolutely. I can't wait for the next conversation. And just, I, I hope you have a wonderful day with not too many surprises, but I hope you have a wonderful day and I, I can't wait to speak again to the two of you in just a few short weeks. Thank you. Eh, muchas gracias por escucharnos. Absolutely. Muchas gracias, Juan. Looking forward to meet you again. Que tengan buen día. Muchas gracias. You too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I think that after this conversation, it's important to reiterate what Catalina brought up with their Condor Adoption Program. If anyone listening is interested in supporting Juan and Catalina's amazing work and the resurgence of this awesome species, please consider adopting one of their condors. You can do so by visiting imbackbccondor.com. That's I-M-B-A-C-B-C-C-O-N-D-O-R.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Find us on social media through the Wild Foundation. And if you're feeling inspired, don't hesitate to share this podcast with those around you and maybe even give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate the support more than you know, and it's that support that allows our work to continue and evolve.